0: All right guys, Michael Hicks here with Mike Does on the Build Unique podcast. I'm here today with my good friend, Bill Cook. Before I get started with Bill, let's talk about a word from our sponsor, Wander Chat. All right, I'd like to thank our sponsor of this week's video, Wander Chat Vacation Rentals here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. For all your unique vacation rental needs, we have water properties, we have mountain properties, we have shipping containers, A-frames, lake houses. we got you covered on your unique spaces. So come on down and see us, visit us at wanderchat.com we on TikTok and Instagram at Wonder Chat. All right, Bill. Thank you so much for coming up. I appreciate you coming all the way up here to Chattanooga to hang out with me for a little bit. Pleasure. Tell me a little bit about Bill and, and what you're about and, and what you're doing.
1: Um, my name is Bill Cook. I'm married to Kim Cook, who you know very well, who's the brains of the operation. Um, we're mom and pop real estate investors, nothing big deal. Um, we have, we usually do 12 to about 15 deals a year. We just did that for a couple you know, two, three decades. So we stayed at it. We held a lot of the property that we bought. So we weren't so much flipping that we did do flipping and wholesaling on the properties we didn't want to keep. And now I'm 62 and we're, you know, we're, at the back end of everything, meaning we still go out and do deals and just not as hard or as much as we used to, because we have our portfolio working for us. As David says, David Tilney says, our capital assets are working for us instead of us out working for our capital assets.
0: I love that. And you know, I I talked on the the last podcast episode that we did about you and, and about the way you structure your deals and how that helped me structuring my deals. But looking back at the way you put your deals together and, and, uh the progression of your career what where did you learn and start utilizing creative deal structuring and and how has that helped to build your real estate career
1: well when kim and i first started so i did my first creative deal in 1990 didn't know what i was doing it was uh my grandmother's house in shreveport louisiana i ended up selling that house doing a rehab to it and selling it with owner financing i didn't know how to do owner financing I knocked doors to find the buyer. You now the buyer would turn out to be about a block and a half away and just happened to knock on his door. He happened to be a, a young man who was, his dad was an investor and he was becoming an investor and he and I just sat down and talked like well, we're doing right now. What's,
0: what's door knocking?
1: Um, meaning, since I was 12, I've made my living knocking on people's doors and being invited in. So door knocking means, you know, there's different ways you can go find your customers. One way is you might want to do internet marketing. You may be doing TV ads, radio ads, uh, maybe on YouTube ads. There's lots of different ways you market. For me, the way I've always marketed was I just went into a neighborhood and I would knock on people's doors. And so when I was 12, when I needed to make money, I couldn't cut grass because I was allergic to grass. So I would carry my mother's electric shampooer door to door, and I would offer to shampoo their biggest or dirtiest room for $5, which is what it cost, what you got paid to to mow a whole yard. This is back with push mowers and
0: you were, that was a sickle mower, wasn't it? <laughs> no, we didn't use sickles. Okay. Yeah, had, had we, yeah. We had or an actual had
1: gas a- engine, yeah, <laughs> but we didn't have baggers back then. So you had to rake when you were done. Yeah. So anyway, and um so that's where I started then to put myself through college. It sounds I, like a
0: lot better deal to, to vacuum a room or shampoo a room than to a yard. and have
1: it. Especially when you're in the air conditioning. Yeah. And especially when it doesn't matter whether it's raining or not. So that worked out real well. And then when I was 18, it was time to go to college. I sold electronics vacuums door to door to put myself through school. And I moved out when I was 18. My dad looked and said, it's time for you to move out. So that's what 18-year-olds did. And so... I started selling vacuums to put myself through. And then when I was 35, I switched over to real estate. And so the natural progression was just keep on knocking doors because the whole time I sold Electrox vacuums, I would see these for sale signs in people's yards. And so why not stop your car and get out and go knock on that door and just say, you know, it's a nice house. Why are you selling? So that's door knocking.
0: You know. Before I met you, I never really thought of it and thought about the the art of door knocking or, or the the process of it. But you know, my dad uh, was a a mailman and retired from the post office, and a lot of what you know, he was he was the only one that uh, worked in our home. My mom, stay at home mom, so I won't say she wasn't working; she was at home. We talked about this, but like my dad would carry uh, the bundles of roofing up on the roof when they were building their house uh, at night, and my mom would nail them on during the day. And that's kind of your
1: mother roofed a house. Yeah,
0: she roofed their, when they built their house. That's how they made it work. You know, they, they, they hand dug their swimming pool. I mean, just they
1: hand how, dug a swimming pool, dug,
0: pulled it up with buckets. So that, that's how I learned to work. But my dad was not afraid to stop on his mail route. You know, he, he had that route he was driving every day or walking originally. And if he saw something sitting out that he was interested in, he would, he would stop and, and haggle. And then bring it home and and repair it, and then take it and put it down the road for sale. And then you know I learned to negotiate a lot from just walking to the road with him and watching him interact with whoever was stopping to buy whatever it was that he had fixed up to sell and, and turn a profit. So that was that was huge in in my life. But there were that same process if we were out riding around or, or on a vacation or going to to check on something they did not hesitate to stop if they saw something that they wanted and say, hey, is that for sale? You know, and, and where a lot of people are like, well, you know, what's the reaction you get? Are people, are people not mean? Or are they, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: you know. It's just like with your dad. There, there's yeah. no difference. People say, well, this is a different day and time. No, it's not. No. People are the same. I, I, I was trying to ride my bicycle across country. Uh, I went from Florida, made it to Louisiana, and I spent more than half the nights in someone's yard. So I didn't wait for a state park. I didn't wait for a hotel. It would hit about 3.30 and that's when it's time to stop. And I usually had done about 50, 55 miles on the bike by then. And so I would just, and again, this isn't in a neighborhood. So I was out in the country somewhere and maybe someone had two, three acres or sometimes it was a farm, but I would just stop and knock on the door and just tell them, you know, my name's Bill. This does sound crazy, but I'm riding my bike across the country. Can I set up a tent over here in the corner of your yard? And I think I... Uh, of the different people where I asked not one person ever told me no. And a, a lot of times they said, come on the porch, we'll fill your water. You know, do you want to come in and we'll, we'll make you food here. That couldn't have been kinder. I don't want to help. Yeah. And, and that's what, and I've door knocked pretty much in every state in the country. Being in when I started, it was selling vacuum. It was shampooing people's carpets. Then it was selling electro vacuums. Then it was me buying houses and it's easier when you're doing real estate because you're there to buy something versus trying to sell something. That's a, that's a difference of night and day when you're trying to buy it. That's the person who really has the strength. And people are kind, they're nice, they're they're they couldn't be more helpful. And a lot of times when I would door knock teach when I taught door knocking, I would take 60 people out. And when we're out, you know, I would tell people, you know, three things will happen. Number 1 is we'll make between 5 and 10 written offers today. Number 2, um, eight out of 10 sellers will invite us in, all of us, all 60 of us. And no one ever believed me. And then, you I've know. Been, I've
0: been out with you. It's impressive. You told us more than three things. I mean, you can, you you can tell us step by step what their reactions would be when you turn a certain way, when you'd look a certain way, when you'd speak a certain way.
1: Let's well, just learn. That's, yeah. that's a technique that's learned. But
0: those are things that, for somebody that hadn't done it and observing that, that, you know, knowing to blade my shoulders to where I'm not as, uh, what's the word?
1: Um, direct. You're not direct. as confrontational. Yeah, not so as confrontational. when you see two guys that, that are shouldered up in a bar looking at each other and they're getting closer and closer to each other, there's going to be a fight. But one of the guys turns his shoulders off and yeah. lowers his head down and lowers down a little bit and becomes submissive. There's not going to be a fight.
0: Calms, every, calms the situation now yes. and it makes everybody feel at ease. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, So you took the door knocking and you took the sales training that you had. And then you, you did what? I I, I take it. You, I I know you got educated. It was that early on or was that uh, I did it my way for a few years and, and then figured out that I needed
1: to. It's what we talked about as far as when I did my first deal, it was in 1990 and it's just talking to somebody. I didn't really understand creative deal structuring at all. That's kind of, I use the example of it's it's his own language. So you have to learn the language So I'd been investing for a little bit. I didn't understand creativity at all. I I went to the banks for my loans. I worked with realtors to go find houses. I didn't know anything. And then um, in 97, I met Dyke Botiford and his his website's assets101.com. And he changed everything because he was a player. He understood creative deal structuring. And he's the one that first told me about Jack Miller down in Tampa, Florida. So. Very quickly in 1998, Jack Miller became my second teacher. And then when I met Jack Miller, I met Pete Fortunato at his event, and those three became my three teachers. And they spoke the the language of creative deal structuring fluently. And the most important lesson they taught me was when you're with someone, you don't bring in the deal structuring toolbox. Now, you don't start with, here's how we're going to structure this deal. You start with asking a lot of questions. You got to find out what's going on, you just got to take an interest. And you got to be there to help. And if you're, if you're there to help, if you're there to understand, if you understand it's not about buying and selling and renting houses, it's about solving people's real estate problems, start, that's where it begins. And then I would always, just, like I did with you, I just asked for a piece of paper. And I start making notes. And that gives me what the problem is. I'll learn what the problem is, where it really hurts for the person. And then my job is to have better and better tools to solve that particular problem. And the longer you do this, the more classes you go to, the more times you're at that kitchen table, the better you get at speaking the language, the more fluent you become until very few problems hit you in the face that you don't already know. You don't have a really good clue about how to how to fix them. Well,
0: it's not, only you know, you know a lot more about how to fix them, but you also by going to events and and becoming educated, you're meeting people that maybe have faced these situations before and can help you with a phone call. Yeah. Uh, so and that you know I talked about I talked about Dyson in an earlier episode you know he changed my mindset on buying and holding properties long term and and put me more into the okay you know it's okay to hold them long term but you need to start purging the the lower end properties and trading them for for a better property you trade two of these houses for one of these and and you know but going back to to becoming educated and going to these events you know I i Plugged and plugged for fifteen years, fifteen years of just trying to do it on my own. I didn't know what aria was. I didn't know that there were educational events. I just, you know, thank goodness for the internet. Um, but I finally found it, and you know, you start going to these events and you you learn more and more ways. To, like you say, just adding more tools. Every event, there's so much content that's that's given at these events that you can't take it all in. No, but you take one or two things, and you can ten x the the cost of the event by utilizing one strategy and and allowing you to multi multi uh, and allowing you to purchase multiple homes in a different way and learning how to talk to sellers in a different way and and again you know attacking it from a problem solving point of view rather than a home buying point of view and that's been huge for me
1: if if someone can write down anything what you just said is that if you attack it from a problem-solving sol- point, problem point, point of view, you're going to do very well. If you're doing it from my, I'm going to buy this house point of view, you're not going to do as well as. It's just, it's you're missing, you're, you'll miss so many deals because you're not really listening to what the problem is. You know, the very best doctors, when someone comes into the exam room, you know, they're going to begin by asking a lot of questions first. They're not going to come in and just prescribe pills. You know, here here's some morphine, here's some codeine. That's not the way it works. They got to figure out what's going on, and then they'll figure out some way to solve the problem, relieve the pain, cure the pain, make the pain go away, something. But they got to understand the information first. They got to understand the problem first. Yeah, you know, and one
0: of the things, uh, uh, the best things that I have learned from you was the T bar.
1: You
0: know, ain't back, that great? It's awesome. And that and
1: that's came that came from Pete. What? So the Ben Franklin clothes was always around. I've been I started using a, a T bar back when I was eighteen. But to watch Pete use it with real estate investing, where you had the current position, potential position, that was all Pete. But once I saw that, man, I I looked at that thing and said that, and that was in like 2002, 2001, when I really started paying attention to that. But that changed everything for me, that T-bar.
0: And you can sit across from a seller and say, here's where you are and here's where I I will help you. you can say that all day long. But it, when you put it down in 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 letter and right in front of them to where they can read that and look at that over and over, it, it it impact. It has an impact because then it's it's real. You know, it's right there. It's tangible right there in front of them. And we we purchased a property a few years ago. It it had repairs that that needed done. It had the house is full of stuff. Her husband and her were going through a divorce. She needed a quick close. She was willing to finance. She didn't know anything on it. I mean, is it she had a lot going on and uh just didn't couldn't keep up both houses because she still had the taxes, the insurance, the power bills, you know, the utilities. So she she just couldn't keep up with everything. Uh and and I think really laying it out on paper for her to see was what was what closed that deal because she was able to to see it and realize, okay, I I get rid of all this and and I get this. That's just it's it's a game changer.
1: You know what's uh Really strange thing is, do you know what percentage of investors use the T-bar when they're sitting out talking to a seller? Probably very few. 0.0001%. And I've taught the T-bar since I first really, I wrapped my mind around it back in 2002. I've been teaching the T-bar ever since. Pete has been teaching the T-bar. And when I'm talking to different people that have taken my class numerous times, I'll ask the question, did you do a T-bar? And the answer almost always is no. I did I talk to are, them, but they didn't do the T-bar. I'm like, this is the most important tool that I use as a real estate investor. This, is, this really makes the biggest difference. How is it more people don't use it? I don't have an answer. I, I don't get it. I, don't. I,
0: I think that people are afraid to try something different. I think that you know people think that the seller wants to see an offer, and they think that that's what, that's what they're there to do is send that, write that offer and give it to them. You know that's why when you said okay, write your offer at the bottom of the T bar. Okay, that's what I did. Yeah, you know, so it it, it helps. I I don't, I don't know why if if you're hesitating and not not writing up a T bar offer, uh, write it up.
1: And it's so simple. You know, that you're not concerned with contracts, and it just makes it makes all the difference in the world. And once again, again, once I got my mind wrapped around that, and it, it hit hard because I've been using the Ben Franklin before, and we would do the Ben Franklin close. When I sold vacuum store door, I would sit there and on a piece of paper, you know, reasons for, reasons against. That's the way we did it back then. And you would here's the reasons why you should get the vacuum. Here's the reasons why you should not. And then you just had them look at it. And usually the reasons not to get the vacuum was it cost too much. That was about it because they couldn't say, well, I have a good one because I proved their good one wasn't working. They couldn't say that um, they'll, they'll do it later because I'd prove that they need to do it right now. So the, really the only reason why it's they had not pitch. to do something was it it cost too much. Well, then the, my job was to, uh, to overcome. It cost too much. And that was not hard to do. Put it out over yeah, time. So, But anyway, that T-bar has been around for a long time. And as a salesman, I used it. And now as a buyer of homes... We still use that, but again, with Pete's twist to it, that only Pete, you know, Pete came up with that, and it's just it's so well, good.
0: If you're if you're listening to your seller and you're sitting there taking notes, you have their objections. I mean, that's what I'm writing down when I'm listening. I'm writing, you know, what what their issues are, what their objections are, and and determining that. And you know, I look back at those 15 years prior, and I think, man, I wasted a lot of time. But I, I go back and I look, and I'm like, okay. I have this connection because of what I did here. I have this lender because of what I did when I was working there. Or I learned these skills when I was selling life insurance. You know that was the, the, that was some of the best sales training that I've ever had.
1: Oh yeah. insurance companies. Insurance. insurance companies have always had the best training. So yeah, I mean they
0: put they put us through phone sales. They put us through everything. You know, sitting down and scheduling appointments. And you know, we knew that if we had to to, to make twenty sales, we had to make a hundred calls and set forty appointments and had to have 20 the appointments stick and to make the 10 sales, you know, just just, uh, they had it down to an art and they knew exactly what to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. take that and move it here and apply the same, the same knowledge. And uh, I think it, it really helped, you know, so I, I don't, I don't uh, dismiss the education I had along the way. And, you know, even the law enforcement and communicating with people and, and keeping a situation calm and. Uh, well, cops
1: are a great example. So when when a cop shows up to anything, the first thing they're going to do is start asking questions. They don't start making statements. Now, there's something going on, someone's holding a gun, then they're going to make very forceful statements. But when they're unsure of why, you know, there's there's a disturbance, something's happened, they get out of their car asking questions. They're trying to understand. They don't go make statements. And same thing when you walk into a house. Same thing when you're working with anybody. Just start asking questions. Uh, and, yeah
0: the questions, but also the way you can set the tone of an appointment by the way you act when you get out of the car as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talked about blading our shoulders and and the approach to knocking on the door. When we got out on a police call, there there were officers that would end up in a fight just about every shift. I worked for eight years and never had a fight. Uh, Some may say that's because of my size and some, you know, but I felt like I was good at de-escalating rather than escalating. Uh, So I, I feel like you know, I'm glad I have those, those traits and that I picked them up along the way. But what, what drives Bill to keep going? What, what pushes you to keep going?
1: That's a very good question. I, there's a need to – that's a very good question. And the reason why I'm having a hard time with it is my needs have been different as time has gone by. My needs change. And I have found myself this year in another changing year. Like, you know, what is it? What's making me go do the different things I'm going to do? And it's becoming bigger picture stuff for me now. I, I want to make a difference in people's lives. Um, I've been very grateful for the people who helped me, who brought me along and i need to share that information that i have so i choose to teach but i'm also in conflict sometimes because all i want to do is you know get my backpack on and just say i'm going to leave for a couple months or you know this winter we're going to be wintering in New mexico so i can go learn spanish i have other things i want to go do and go learn that don't really involve real estate or teaching of it but there's an obligation to give back so i do it Because I've seen enough times, you're you're a prime example of that, when you've had good teachers around you. And I don't mean just me, because you have a number of good teachers around you. Look at what you've done. And you've done it in a way that none of us did it. When you're doing your container homes and when you built a treehouse and you went into storage buildings, you've done a lot of things that those teachers that you had, we weren't doing that. So you kind of created your own thing to it, but that doesn't mean you're not very, very successful. And so why are you doing, let me ask you a question. Why are you doing this podcast?
0: Same thing to give back, you know, I want, and that's somebody asking why I'm doing YouTube and why I do podcasts. You know, it's kind of uh double-edged. I want I want to be able to give back and pass the information on and and introduce, you know, the world, hopefully, to to my friends and the the people that helped me succeed. But the other piece of it is and the main why is for my kids, so that they can go back and see the things that I was doing and, and see the things that we were building and, and be able to see me and hear me, uh, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. That, see,
1: this is where going. you have a leg up on me. So Kim and I never had kids. Kim couldn't have kids. And so I don't have that push. You know, when you watch what Pete's doing right now, he's doing this for his grandkids and great-grandkids. He's structuring deals for that. Well, Kim and I don't have that. And so we, there, there it's a different motivational factor, but I think I would love to have had three or four kids, right? That would have been really great. And just say, I'm, I'm passing this on to you and come, come learn this thing. Because a lot of my friends that are successful investors have children, Dorsey Bottiford. You know, look at what she's done with what her dad taught her. Pretty cool. Look at what you know, your kids are going to go through and what they've learned. Carrie Milligan, I talked to him yesterday. Look at what his two daughters are doing. I mean, look at what they're doing.
0: I can't wait to send my kids to Dorsey. <laughs> I hope she'll have them. So, the, the path, the real estate path, why and, and what has it done for you?
1: First of all, the why is I understood it. Meaning, when I was going door to door, I a couple times would knock on doors because when I started, I was in Westport, Connecticut. Um uh, I was went to high school in Louisville, Kentucky. When it's time for me to go to college, um, I went to University of Connecticut. And where I first started selling was a place called Westport, which is about an hour north of New York. Very high money, big, big dollars. Greenwich, Connecticut, it's just it's sick money. And so I would knock on doors and some of those people would be stockbrokers that worked down on the stock exchange. I never understood what they did. And I've read a number of books. I was a finance major. But I never understood the stock market. And I've always felt that peop- there are people who are on the inside who have the know. They, they, they know what's going on well ahead of everybody else. And for me, just to be the average guy, I was never going to do very well at that. At the same time, on, and I had some businesses, some doors I knocked on where the husband or the wife had their own businesses. And I liked that idea, but they worked very, very hard. And it was always every day they had to go into work. They built this business. And then a couple of my customers were real estate investors where they had some single family rentals. I don't mean like the commercial guys, just they had some single family rentals, 10, 15, 20 houses, and they did very, very well. And they were at home and they seemed to be the most relaxed. They weren't out there just getting up at five and coming in at nine o'clock at night. They had a family life. They could, they just had more freedom. And I understood that I could understand houses. I understood that people would rather have a roof over their head than sleep outside. It made sense to me. And if stocks had made sense to me, I would have done that. But real estate just made sense. Good houses, like what I grew up in, a three-bedroom, two-bath brick ranch, that made sense. People were going to want that. If I could own that and rent to them, that would work for me. And it, it didn't take rocket science to figure it out.
0: What, what is the the big goal, the dream, the dream? What what is what is what is success look like, and I I feel like that's a, that's all relevant and different for everybody. So, what what does I feel like when we're out and going after a goal and going trying to achieve something, we hit it and then we won't we we'll come up with another goal, right? So what 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 is the what is what is it for you?
1: So I have something called an I am card. And where I put down, okay, these are my beliefs. This is the kind I describe the man I want to be. And I've had this for 40 years and it changes as, as time go, go, goes by. And if you ask what it is, number one is, I want to be in harmony with God. I, I, I try to understand how God thinks. And I think of it almost as the sun. Okay, so you have the sun up there. The sun only knows how to give, the sun never asks. For anything in return, it just gives light and heat energy, right? It allows us to live, but it doesn't ask for anything in return. And I try to be think, okay, that's kind of how God thinks from my point of view. And I try to be like that. I try to give unconditional, where I don't ask for anything in return. So the first thing is to try to be in harmony with God and how God thinks. And to take that a step further, i think of think of a long stretch of beach and at the first spot there's a man there and he's been successful he's raised a family there on that beach and the ocean's provided him food and everything he needs and he he's he's raised a good family there and he's very happy and you know he he does sacrifices and worships the ocean and that sort of thing and I can see the ocean just sitting there thinking, I am that I am. Smiles, and that's all the ocean says. I am that I am. And the only time that God ever used his name was the burning bush. And he said, "I." when when Moses said, what is your name? What do we call you? He said, I am that I am. So go 100 miles down that beach. Now there's a guy, and let's say a wave came up and killed his family. Now he hates the ocean, sees it as ruining his family, and he goes and Stows a spear in the water and tries to kill it and pour, puts poisons in. And the ocean just smiles and says, I am that I am. Go a little bit further down. And there's a guy there that doesn't believe the ocean is anything omnipotent whatsoever. And the ocean just smiles and says, I am that I am. And then you go down a little bit further, another 100 another miles. And there's a barren stretch of beach that no human has ever stepped foot on. And the ocean still smiles and says, I am that I am. Only knows how to give, only smiles, only goodness, and that's number one. And if I have a second part, which I do, which is to be a very good husband to my to my wife, and I picture my wife as in, and I say to myself, you know, Kim is an angel walking, meaning I can see her walking down a sidewalk, and she has angel wings. And they're, they're they're there. I can see them, and I say to myself, she's my gift from God, and that her wings protect me, and I think by saying the wings protect me, the way I think of that is in our life, when we're looking out, let's say I always think of like, uh, did you ever see the movie 300? Um, Yes. Yeah. Remember when they end when all the arrows went up? So you've got this people over there that really don't like you very much and they want to see you dead. And I'm standing next to Kim, who's an angel. And these people say, we're going to get you. And they pull back their bows and they let these thousands of arrows go up into the air. And they're arcing over and they're coming down at me and Kim. Well, of course, I'm going to stand in front of Kim. I'm going to protect Kim. I'll take the arrows. And I stand in front of Kim and the arrows are coming down. And as the arrows are arcing over and as they almost get to us, Kim just unfurls her wings and wraps them around both of us. From the back. So I'm in front of her and she just wraps her wings around us. And it's not that the arrows bounce off. The arrows never touch the wing. They just turn to dust because they're angel wings. No angel, no, no, no arrows can touch an angel wing. And then all the arrows are just gone. They turn to nothing. And then Kim unfurls her wing or puts her wings back. And, you know, she, she leans around, looks at me and wings. She goes, we're fine. And We just kind of turn a different direction and go. Those are my two big whys. I want to think like God if I can do that, and I fail miserably at it. And the other way I want us to be a very, very good husband to my wife. She deserves the very best I can give her, and I fail at that miserably too. But I try. Those are the two things.
0: You're doing well at both. It's awesome. That's awesome. If you were starting again, what, what advice would you give someone to start again? Understand business and in business all together.
1: Everything. Understand that business is a very simple thing. It's just not easy. That you got to do it day after day. You've got to be at it day after day. And that's the hard part. It's like if if you want to go run a marathon, you can't just say, I'm going to go run a marathon. Now you got to go out and actually go run some and you won't go very far. Well, the next day you got to run a little bit further. And the next day, a little bit further. And and you just got to keep that up until you reach that goal. And, you know, I'm going to be interviewing you a little bit later today when we're out backpacking. And one of the things I try to get to is I try to find out that when you hit the wall, we all hit the wall several times. We're ready to quit, give up. It doesn't matter whether it's real estate investing or whatever your business is, whatever you're doing, whatever that is, we all hit the wall and we want to quit yet the ones that succeed the ones that keep going forward those are the lessons that i think are most important so it's understand that the business is simple it's just not easy and you cannot quit you're going to want to a bunch of times you're going to want to throw up your hands there's a bunch of reasons why you're just it's too tough for you but you have to keep going yeah, that's
0: I, I, you know, you always heard that failure is not an option. Failure is not a, failing is an option. It's absolutely an option. Yeah. And it happens. Quitting is not an option. That's, that's no way of saying the bugs. If you quit, you're over. Yeah. If you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but quitting is not an option.
1: Well, I, I told you about the bike trip, right? So when I got to Louisiana, I realized because my wife had injured her foot and I was going the wrong direction. I, my job was to be with my wife. I knew she needed me. And she had had a really rough year. She had cut tendons in her foot at a a rehab we were doing. And now she was just getting back where she could walk again. And she just wanted to have, she lost a whole year. And she wanted to have that winter to be able to go walk on the beach, to ride her bike. That's all she wanted. Here I am riding away from her. Mistake. And the more I thought about it, the more it bugged me. And I just stopped what I was doing. I'm not one that quit something. So I looked and said, and I didn't quit. Stopped, and I called my wife. Said, "Come get me. My my place is with you." That doesn't mean the journey's over, because before this is all said and done, she doesn't really know this yet. I'm gonna go back to Bogalusa, Louisiana, and get back on my bike and keep pedaling west until I reach San Diego one day. And that might take me three, four, five, ten times before I finally make it all the way. I don't care how long it's gonna take me, but I would have ridden my bike from Augusta, Florida, to San Diego, uh, California. However, that works, just I won't quit, but I did have to stop. We all face that. There's times that we have to regroup. And as what you said, you just can't quit. Unless it, you look at it and say, This is not for me anymore. That's, well, I'm on that, the wrong path. And,
0: you know, we set these goals and sometimes we're seventy five percent there and realize this isn't what I thought, or this mm-hmm. isn't what I was expecting. You know, and, and I think it's okay to the
1: change past when we feel like it? Well, the reason I ran, you know, I, I quit it. I wanted to quit at the end of 2014, but I, I stopped it at 2015. I've always wanted to be a writer. So I wrote a newspaper column for 13 years and I wanted it done. And so I, I quit both of those in 2015, but I had proved to myself and had done what I set out to accomplish and then a whole lot more. But it was time to move on to a different set of goals and to keep doing that just to do it. Didn't make any sense. There was, I, I wanted to go travel. I wanted to go see the world. And I could not do both. And I just came up with a new set of goals.
0: Hit me with your best quote.
1: Came from Zig Ziglar. You heard, this, you heard me say this a thousand times. So I'm 19 years old. I'm putting myself through college, selling vacuums door to door. I'm not doing very well. I'm not a good salesman by any stretch of the imagination. And my mother brought me home a tape series from Zig Ziglar. And he was a great sales trainer back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And when I was listening to this cassette series, no, not 8-track, cassette. I
0: thought you were gonna say vinyl. <laughs> did, did they have vinyl sales records?
1: Well, they, they did have vinyl sales records. Um, but when I was listening to what he was saying and he had a great quote that changed my entire life and has been the foundation of what we've talked about today and the foundation of my entire business philosophy. And in, it was a, a series called see you at the top. And the quote was, you will get exactly what you want in life. If you just help enough other people get what they want It's about them. It's not about you. And so the more people you help, the more successful you'll be. So your job every day is to get up and go find people to help and find problems to solve which really goes back to Zig Ziglar, you'll get exactly what you want in life if you just help enough other people w- get what they want. Yeah, and I
0: think that, you know, hearing that and, and taking that attitude towards life and towards our our, our, our business it has propelled it just as much as the ability to creatively structure a deal. You're going at it with the right mentality and the right attitude and, and you know, helping others. I mean, just giving back and, and uh,
1: pouring into others. If you you ask me, what's more important, knowing how to structure deals, or understanding that your job is to go out and help people solve their problems? By far and away, go help people solve problems. You'll figure out the other part.
0: Sure.
1: But this philosophy, this this root, this 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 ball of energy, this thought process, this changes everything. This this is what it's all about. You've got to go find people to help. You've got to go find problems to solve. The more people you help, the more problems you solve the more profitable that you'll be. So you look at an Amazon. Look at how many people they help. Look at uh, Apple. Look at how many people they help.
0: Solving a lot of problems. Yes, they are. All right, Bill. I love it. Appreciate you coming on. You're welcome, buddy. Tell us how we can get a hold of you.
1: Um, phone number, easiest way to reach me. Uh, go to our website, which is Bill and Kim Cook. And it's and uh, spelled out, Billingkimcook.com Or call me on the phone, 770 815 8727.
0: All right, guys. We'll see you next week.